Good morning again. Our sermon text for this morning is Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 8, verse 26. We will uh, go ahead and read that text, but first let me pray for us. Father, we come to you to hear from you, to hear of your grace, to hear of your love. Um, We come to you, Father, to be refreshed in the gospel, to be encouraged and strengthened. Father, we pray that you would do just that, that you would work through your word uh, to minister to our hearts, to our needs, to strengthen us uh, both in the gospel ourselves, but also to empower us to go out and share that good news with others. Bless our time together now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to meet him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Well, inclusion is kind of a hot topic today. Uh, Everybody is about inclusion, right? Inclusion is seen as kind of a a basic right. I must be included uh, or my voice is being silenced and my views are being marginalized. Any kind of exclusivity is seen as, as hatred or prejudice or an attempt at oppression. I'm not so sure that's actually always the case, and uh, we'll get to that a little bit, but it's important that we as the church don't overreact, but on the other hand, see that the gospel is actually about 
a kind of inclusion. That there is a spirit-led, Jesus-enabled inclusion in the church. Uh, which is to say that, that God is about the business of taking those who are far off, those who are alienated, those who are outcasts, those who are considered unclean, and bringing them near, including them in his people, in the church. And of course, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this morning in Acts 8. Uh, we've seen God, uh, we, we, we have a God who takes us, those who are out casts those who are unclean and draws us near to himself through his son Jesus. This is how, of course, the church grows, right? Uh, That through the spirit-led, Jesus-enabled inclusion of more and more people in the people of God in his kingdom. And uh, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, here's the application, I think, in light of this passage as we read through uh, this chapter, as we we, uh, hear what this chapter is saying. I think one of the applications to us is that we should pray. Uh, Pray that the Holy Spirit would uh, lead us to show and tell Jesus to those around us, especially uh, those who are most on the fringes or seem most uh, out of touch, seem uh, least likely even to come to believe. So our outline this morning... um, you can see on the back of your bulletin, we're going to talk about, well, how, how does the church grow? That's what we were talking about last week. We're going to continue that this week, and we're going to see that the church grows through spirit-led, Jesus-enabled inclusion. So first we'll talk about being spirit-led. Um, in Acts, in the book of Acts, God is laying the foundation of his church. He's doing what he long promised to do to establish his kingdom through the Messiah, which is to say that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, uh, has sent His Spirit to empower His people to spread His Word and so establish His church. We saw that beginning in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost uh, many weeks ago. We've seen that uh, even into Samaria uh, in the beginning of this chapter as the persecuted Christians began to scatter (coughs) out from Jerusalem. Uh, into other parts of the world. And that brings us to verses 26 to 29. Verse 26 begins like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. One of the first things that I want us to notice is that the Spirit leads Philip to this Ethiopian. Uh, This is notable for a couple of reasons. First, the Spirit uh, leads Philip to a desert place. Luke is intentional about pointing this out. That, you know, Philip, you remember in the beginning of the chapter, he was just, he just led a whole town of Samaritans to Jesus. Uh, There was this whole movement among the Samaritans because of Stephen's witness. Where would you go next? You'd go to the next town, right? Our thought is always go bigger, right? Where where can I go next? They they received the the gospel in this town. Well, I'm going to go to a bigger town and see what God does there. Who in their right mind would ever go smaller? 
And yet Stephen goes from this thriving evangelistic ministry in the big city to this deserted backwoods country road, so to speak. He goes to, to nowhere, where there is no one. And uh, this is one of those only God could set this up kind of moments. Second, the, the Spirit leads Philip not only to this deserted uh, road, but also to an Ethiopian. Uh, now, when Scripture talks about Ethiopians, I'm told, uh, it's not, or Ethiopia, it's not talking about modern Ethiopia, uh, but modern Sudan, actually, um, or ancient Upper Nubia, an area just south of Egypt. And uh, what is significant for us is that this person that, that Philip is sent to is not Jewish. Uh, he's not only not Jewish, he's not even half Jewish, like the Samaritans, right? But he is a black African, an Ethiopian, a Cushite, a Nubian. And so Philip goes from this urban revival to this deserted road, from the half-Jewish Samaritans to this full-blown Gentile. There's a third reason, though, that this is a radical move, uh, because this person is not only an Ethiopian, but a eunuch. And what this means is that this Ethiopian uh, was not only not ethnically Jewish, but he was also not a proselyte. He hadn't converted to Judaism. He couldn't convert to Judaism because he was unclean. Eunuchs were unclean according to Levitical law. Uh, because of his physical deformity, they could not become clean. No matter how many ritual washings he would undergo in Judaism, he could never become clean. The Samaritans, at least, they, they could become proselytes, right? In fact, Ethiopians too, normal Ethiopians could, but not this one. His physical deformity made him permanently unclean under Jewish law. And so here we have, right, a, a deformed, unclean Gentile on a deserted road. What would make Philip, right, a clean Jew in the midst of a public revival, seek out such a person? Well, only God. Uh, only God. An angel of the Lord sends Philip. The Spirit directs him right up to this chariot. Philip is sent to bless the Gentiles, or at least to bless one Gentile uh, in particular. Now, God's people, as you read through Scripture, are actually always a sent people, uh, beginning from Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis 1, God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, right? Go fill the earth. From the very beginning, we are sent out into the world. Uh, we're not only sent, uh, but we're, we're sent to bless the nations. Uh, think about Abraham. God calls Abraham to leave his home and to go to Canaan, and he promises all the nations will be blessed through you. So from the start, Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm going to bless the nations if you go. I'm going to bless the nations. Uh, you, you read through the scriptures, uh, you read through the prophets like Elijah and Elisha, uh, both end up blessing uh, not Israelites, but they go to a Gentile widow and, a, and the Gentile Naaman, right? They're a blessing to the nations around them, to the peoples around them. Uh, you, you have Jonah, you, you know the story of Jonah, right? Jonah's kind of the anti-Philip, isn't he? Uh, he too is sent to bless the nations, uh, but he doesn't want to go. Um, of course, Jesus sent his apostles to bless the nations, Matthew 28, uh, to make disciples, to be his witnesses. And of course, most of us in this room are the result of that commission. We are Gentiles who have received God's blessing through Jesus. And so as Jesus' people, of course, what that means is we too are sent 
Uh, we are sent to bless the nations, to love our neighbor, uh, to speak and serve as our gifting and opportunity allows. Um, so Philip is sent by the Spirit to this Ethiopian. We are sent to bless those around us as well. There's a question, though, that I want to address. Um, you know, when people come to this text or other texts in the book of Acts, they see the angel of the Lord guiding Philip, and they see the Holy Spirit speaking to Philip. Uh, one of the natural questions that people ask is, does the Spirit guide us like this today? Right? In my evangelism, in my life, should I be looking for, expecting, waiting on some voice from God to tell me my next move? Is that what it means to be Spirit-led? Well, uh, before I answer that question, there are a couple of things to sort of lay down first. You know, as you think about guidance, which is what this is about, um, the first thing to realize is that, that there is a, a secret will of God and that God's secret will for your life is just that, secret. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 20, 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Uh, there are things about life that you can never understand. They're secret. God hasn't chosen to reveal them. Uh, th there are things that you'd like God to tell you that he's never going to tell you. That, that may be frustrating, uh, but thankfully, he hasn't actually left us adrift. Uh, the, the verse 29:29 in Deuteronomy goes on to say, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we might do them. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we might do them. And there it's talking specifically about God's law in Deuteronomy, but we could uh, expand on that to, to uh, think of all of God's word uh, in the scriptures. And so God's secret will for your life is secret, uh, but God has revealed what pleases him in the Bible. If you want to know God's will for your life, go there, wrestle there, right? Stop trying to peer uh, into the secret plan of God uh, and, and wrestle through the application of Scripture to your life. But some people still ask, okay, fine, but doesn't the Spirit guide us? Right? Doesn't the Spirit lead us? Might I be moved by the Spirit in one direction or another? And if so, how do I know whether it's the Spirit or not? If the Spirit guides us, how can I know whether, whether some impression is the, the Spirit or my own heart or the devil himself or, as Ebenezer Scrooge said, a fragment of underdone potato? Go watch the movie if you haven't. Um, See, if I have some impression or, or some thought, how do I know where that comes from? Well, uh, two, two things come to mind. The, the first is, you can't. Uh, there, there's no logical syllogism that will lead you to unequivocally say, this is from the Spirit, and this is last night's dinner. When this is just some random thought from my brain. Uh, there's no airtight way of figuring that out. You can't. And second, it actually doesn't matter. Uh, you don't have to figure it out. The truth of the matter is, whatever, whatever thought might come into your head, on the one hand, that, that comes under the sovereignty of God. God is in control here. Whatever thought comes into your head doesn't mean it's right or true, but God is in control. And, uh, and that thought does not have the same authority that Scripture has. Uh, whether that thought is from the Spirit or from your own mind or from Satan, there's only one thing to do with it, and that's test it. 
Is it in accordance with Scripture? Act in accordance with Scripture. Is it not in accordance with Scripture? Ignore it and move on. Uh, I'm not saying that the Spirit might not move or prompt us. I am saying that Scripture is our final authority. Obey that. Right? An impression might be misunderstood. Uh, a thought might get jumbled in my head. But Scripture is right there in black and white. I can read it and I can understand it. If I don't understand it, I can ask other people for help. And so don't wait for an impression from the Spirit. Don't blindly accept whatever thought pops into your head. Don't immediately dismiss it either, right? There, there's a balance here. Uh, but what do you do with it? Well, you test it. Is it in accordance with Scripture? Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Boyce, uh, who some of you might know, um, when, uh, when he was talking about God's will in, in a book called The Foundations of the Christian Faith, uh, he had three points, and he ends the chapter like this. It's a, a longish quote, but I think it, it's, it's important, helpful. He says, uh, this brings us to the third of the three principles mentioned earlier in this chapter. The first principle was that we must be willing to do the will of God even before we know what it is. That's a helpful point. Um, the second, that we must get our guidelines from Scripture. And the third is the principle of daily and even hourly fellowship with the Lord. Psalm 32, 8 states it by saying, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye. Dr. Boyce goes on to say, if the Lord is to guide us with his eye, he must first catch our eye. And this means that we must look to him regularly throughout the day. Of course, this is what we really need and desire, he says. Fellowship with the one who knows what we should do and how we should do it. We need more than a mere instruction manual. Uh, John White says, you may seek guidance, but God desires to give something better, himself. What God has really provided is a guide. We are to stay close to him and follow his leading, end quote. And, and so here's the, the question for us, or the questions for us, right? Are you, one, are you willing to go where God has called you, right? You have to be willing, Boyce says. Um, do, do you know his call in the Bible, uh, that he sent us to bless the nations, to love our neighbor, to speak and serve as gifting and opportunity allow? And are you walking closely with God so that when he leads, you're ready to follow? And if all that is the case, then the next question is, to whom is God sending you? Uh, to whom is he calling you to speak and serve? Uh, if you're not sure, right, pray and ask God to guide you, to lead you, to open doors and opportunities for you to bless the nations, to bless your neighbors, to bless those around you. So the growth of the church is spirit-led. We must go where God leads. Uh, second, the growth of the church is Jesus-enabled. Uh, when, when Philip comes to this chariot, he hears the eunuch reading scripture. Uh, most people apparently read aloud in those days, I'm told. And uh, Philip asks the eunuch, do you understand what you are reading? And uh, Asking questions, by the way, is always a good way of, of uh, approaching people, of starting conversations with someone. It shows that you're interested in them, uh, shows that you're humble. And uh, actually, the eunuch, too, is humble, isn't he? Because he answers in verse 31, how can I understand unless someone guides me? By the way, uh, I think even the eunuch's humility is a sign that the spirit is already uh, at work in, the, in his heart. Uh, humbling him, giving him a hunger for scripture and spiritual truth. Uh, he's ready to learn. 
uh, which if I had another point in this sermon, I guess it would be uh, about the Spirit preparing people to hear. And uh, not only does the Spirit lead and lead us to show and tell Jesus to others to bless them, but uh, the Spirit also prepares people to receive Jesus. Um, so Philip gets up in this chariot. They have a Bible study, uh, and the passage is Isaiah 53, 7 to 8. And you see it here in the book of Acts, in Acts 8, beginning in verse 32. Uh, <clears throat> we're told now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch, we're told, said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Uh, there, there are at least two things to note here. Uh, one is that Philip sees Jesus in this Old Testament text. He sees Jesus in the Old Testament. And two, Philip then preaches the gospel from the Old Testament. The eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah. And uh, Philip, we're told, beginning with this scripture, tells him the good news about Jesus. Philip doesn't say, you know, what you or I might say, boy, uh, uh, Mr. Ethiopian eunuch, that's a great scripture, but let me, let me turn your attention to another. Let's, let's look at John 3.16. Now, he doesn't say that because there is no John 3.16 at that point, uh, but he also doesn't say that because as far as Philip is concerned, the whole Old Testament the only scripture that he had at the moment, the whole Old Testament was about Jesus. Jesus says the same thing, right? Multiple times throughout his life. He says that Moses and the prophets and the Psalms are all about him. On the road to Emmaus, which is a story that, that really foreshadows this story here, or, or maybe put it the other way around, this story echoes uh, Jesus' interaction with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, on the road to Emmaus, we're told that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Right? So Jesus began with Moses and the prophets. Philip began with Isaiah. But the end result of both was the same. They speak about Jesus. Right? They explain who Jesus is from the Old Testament text. Uh, now, some of you probably know that I, I love the Old Testament. Uh, I, I love the Old Testament because, as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, uh, every story whispers his name. And uh, it didn't matter what scripture, really, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. Philip would have done the same thing. Any scripture that he was reading, Philip would have, beginning with that scripture, Philip would have told him the good news about Jesus. And, and what that means for us is that we, too, should be devouring all of God's word, even the weird parts of Leviticus that we don't understand or the odd parts of Ezekiel that make no sense to us whatsoever. Uh, we should be reading them, devouring them, studying them. Why should we be reading them? Well, I promise you in the end, according to Jesus, those things are about him. Uh, now, uh, yesterday I read Genesis 36. Uh, it's the genealogy of Esau. And uh, I'm not saying, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you realize, oh, the whole thing's about Jesus, suddenly Jesus is going to pop out of Genesis 36. Like, there he is in Esau's genealogy. I knew it. Um, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that, is that uh, this whole narrative, right, that God is weaving together throughout the Bible is moving us forward to and pointing to Jesus. 
It's preparing us for Jesus. It's helping us understand Jesus. It's pointing us forward. It's anticipating uh, and, and so on. And so skipping a chapter in the Bible or, or skipping a book of the Bible is, is, uh, is like missing an episode in your favorite TV drama, right? Uh, you know, things that happen in later episodes just don't make as much sense as they would have, right? Because you missed something key along the way. Uh, that's what's going on as we read through the scriptures. We're, we're learning God's story and he's preparing us for the Messiah. In fact, even this chapter in Acts uh, is informed by all kinds of things in the Old Testament. It's informed by the Levitical law. Uh, it's, it echoes things that happened with Elijah and Elisha. It, a thing, it uh, echoes things that happened with Jonah, at least by contrast. Uh, it echoes Jesus' interaction with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, even certain prophecies of Isaiah, not only what is quoted here, but Isaiah 56, which Bryce read earlier, which talks about eunuchs and foreigners receiving the blessing of God. And so uh, all of these things, the Old Testament prepares us, right, as we read them for this text even, to understand the, the fullness of it in light of everything that's come before. And so, right, re read your Bible. That's really what I'm getting at. Read your Bible. Um, read the whole Bible and ask the Spirit to uh, show you Jesus in the Scriptures so that you can feed on Jesus in the Scriptures and that as you do that, you'll be able to feed others as well. So uh, Philip sees Jesus in the Old Testament here. Philip also preaches the gospel from the Old Testament. Uh, I know in some sense uh, that's splitting hairs. How, how is that different? Um, Jesus is the gospel, right? Uh, but <coughs> Philip from Isaiah tells the eunuch the good news about Jesus. He doesn't just say, look, here's Jesus. He actually moves on. Here's the good news about him in light of this text. And uh, you know, when the Old Testament is cited, in the New Testament, uh, we're, we're typically meant to understand the context as well. And so you go back to Isaiah and um, uh, the, the few verses that are before what is quoted here in Isaiah say this. In Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then that takes us to the text that's quoted, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and it goes on. See, the gospel in Isaiah 53 there is that there was one who was rejected that we might be accepted. That's what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. Uh, there was one who was excluded that we might be included in God's kingdom. Philip explains that, 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 that Jesus was forsaken by the Father on the cross, the Father turned his back on his son that we might never get the Father's back, but always his smile. Uh, this is how Jesus enables inclusion, right? Uh, this is the only kind of inclusion that the Scripture knows about. It's an inclusion that comes through the cross. He was rejected that you might be accepted. He was excluded that you might be included. He was forsaken that you might draw near. Now, you still might wonder, okay, but why does Luke 
quote this particular portion of <coughs> Isaiah? Why doesn't he quote those verses that come before it? Well, uh, maybe the short answer is that's the part the eunuch was reading when Philip came by. That's what it tells us. Why was the eunuch reading that part? Well, I don't know. Uh, the eunuch was just, uh, just at the temple worshiping. We're told that. What did he see there at the temple? Uh, he would have seen animals, sacrifices, blood. Now Isaiah speaks about a man as if a lamb led to the slaughter. Who is this man? Who is this man who, who, is, who is like the sacrifices that I saw at the temple? This one who was wounded for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities, as the former verses say. Philip says it's Jesus. He's the, the one who was like the lamb said to the, led to the slaughter. He is the one who, like those sacrifices that the eunuch had just seen, who, who uh, died in our place. And the good news is, of course, he, he did die in our place, but he didn't stay dead. And because of him, though we die, yet will we live, dwelling forever, not in the shadow of death, but in the presence of our Father, uh, which really brings us to the last point. So the, the, the growth of the church is, is the spirit-led and, and Jesus-enabled, but it's a spirit-led, Jesus-enabled inclusion into the people of God. Uh, we've really been talking about this the whole time, but the eunuch was, uh, was physically deformed. He was an unclean Gentile. He couldn't even be a proselyte because of his deformity. Uh, and, and he was just at the temple to worship. That's what we're told earlier in the story. But of course, if he went to the temple to worship, he would have been held off. He only could come so close because he was a Gentile, because he was a eunuch. He knew what it meant to be on the outside, to be an outcast, to be held at arm's length. I wonder if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever been excluded from something. You know, we often think of back when we were kids, right, and, and uh, you know, some other kids wouldn't let you play with them. Sometimes even now you think back and that hurts still. Or maybe as a teenager you felt like an outsider. You didn't quite fit in. Or maybe even as an adult, right, you have something in your past that, that you feel marks you as unclean or, or that no matter what you do, you, you just don't quite fit. Uh, believe it or not, I, I've always felt that uh, since I was a little kid. Um, I kind of think everybody feels like that to some degree, but maybe not. I don't think it's just me, but um, I've always felt on the outside. I've always felt like I didn't fit. Uh, there, there were a few years in art school where that wasn't true. Uh, one, because everyone was as weird as I was, and so weird became normal. And uh, two, I became a Christian while I was in art school, and so I enjoyed real Christian fellowship for the first time, which was uh, a real sweet time in life. But I think most of us experience this at some point in life, and I think that's true because there's a depth to our exclusion, whether we know it or not. In Genesis, we're told that we were made for fellowship with our Father, but because of human sin, we were cast out of the garden, and we have lost intimacy with the Father. Whether we understand that or not, we go through life feeling disconnected, like there's some kind of intimacy we should have, but don't. Now, part of that is because of the communities in which we uh, live and move in and out of. Um, Tim Keller points out in his book, uh, The Reason for God, that all communities are exclusive at some point. Uh, all communities have boundaries, right, that determine who is in and who is not. 
Uh, otherwise, it's not a community. Right? In order for it to be a community, there have to be some boundaries. Uh, he says, every human community holds in common some beliefs that necessarily create boundaries, including some people and excluding others from its circle. And, and we've already seen that inclusion in the church, inclusion in God's kingdom, is Jesus-enabled, right? That Jesus was excluded at the cross that we might be included in God's family. We were held far off uh, from God because of our sin, but he draws us near through, uh, through Jesus. Well, who then is included, right? Who then is included in the church? Uh, well, we've seen this throughout the book of Acts as we've been reading. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We're, we're drawn into the church as we repent of sin and turn to Jesus as we receive baptism as the sign of our inclusion in Jesus. And here's where this connects with the Ethiopian eunuch, right? They're going along the road, and they come to water, and the eunuch says, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, many things had prevented him from the fullness of temple worship. But in the light of the work of Christ, uh, being, accepted that we might be, being rejected that we might be accepted, uh, what now prevents him from baptism into Christ? And the answer, of course, is nothing. Nothing prevented him. His ethnicity does not prevent him, does not exclude him from Christ. His skin color did not exclude him from Christ. His physical deformity did not exclude him from Christ. All who turn from sin to Jesus for forgiveness are received by the Father and can receive the sign of that in baptism. And this was really anticipated, was prophesied long before in Isaiah 56. Again, uh, there's the Old Testament. It's not like this is somehow brand new in Acts chapter uh, 8. Isaiah saw this a long time ago. He said this, Isaiah 56 verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. See, God's plan has always been to include the foreigner and to include the eunuch and the outcast, not only the outcasts of Israel, but of the nations as well. That was his plan. He's going to include all peoples, all kinds of people, all who will turn to him through Jesus. The challenge for us is this then, right? Who are those people uh, whom you think, right, they'll, they'll never come to Jesus. Uh, they, they could never become Christians. I think of that. There's a silly song. It's a really silly song. I probably shouldn't even mention it. But uh, you remember uh, some of you, Chris Rice. Chris Rice has this song about the cartoon characters, right, singing hallelujah. I don't even remember what it's called. But he has this song where he goes through all of these cartoon characters singing hallelujah. And he gets, uh, you know, and he goes th through each different character and sort of their 
typical phrase and turns that somehow into hallelujah, you know, from the Smurfs to Scooby-Doo to, uh, I don't know, Fred Flintstone. And then he mentions, uh, he says, Beavis and that other guy, right? You know, the, the, the cartoon from the 90s, right? And, uh, and then he says, nah. And I've always actually been bothered by that because I thought, well, okay, bear with me, right? If, uh, if, if Fred Flintstone could become a Christian, right? <laughs> And, and the Smurfs could become a Christian, why not Beavis, right? Now, I know it's imaginary, it's fake, but, 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 but the point is, here's the point, right? Um, right? If in some world, right, any, nobody's outside of the reach of God's grace, right? Why, why is Fred Frinstone more Christian than Beavis and Butthead, right? He's not, right? No one's outside of the reach of God's grace, all right. Uh, <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> so who are those people whom you have written off? That's the question. Uh, who, who are those people whom you would exclude as outside the reach of God's grace? All who turn from their sin to Jesus for forgiveness are received by the Father. That happens as we are led by the Spirit to show and tell Jesus to the outsider who is far off that God by His Spirit might draw them to Himself. God's Spirit has to work in either case. Here, here's what I hope this leads us to. First, uh, that we would pray for the Spirit to lead us. Uh, pray that the Holy Spirit would be preparing others to receive Jesus. That, that pray for opportunities, for words to say when those opportunities arrive. Uh, seek to be open to the Spirit's guidance, first in Scripture, and then moment by moment through the ongoing daily communion we have as we look to Jesus and wait on Him. Second, seek to know Jesus and know the scriptures so that when those opportunities do arise, you can start in any passage and proclaim Jesus. Or, or maybe I should put it differently, right? Seek to so know Jesus and the gospel so that you can start at any point in life and explain the good news about Jesus. Um, so pray, know Jesus, and, and three, don't let any worldly distinction uh, keep you from accepting people. Anyone who repents of sin, trusts in Jesus, is accepted as a brother or sister in Christ. And until then, right, we, we accept them to show the love of Jesus, his, his willingness to receive them should they repent and believe. doesn't mean that we overlook sin, uh, but, but we love them in their sin. And we're patient with them as God is patient with us, calling them from their sin into Jesus. Anyone, no matter what worldly distinction they have, can, by the Spirit's power, be drawn near. Don't write people off. Don't assume God can't work. Don't label people as unsavable. The only distinction that really matters is repentance and faith, and ultimately that is the Spirit's work. No one is any further off by nature than anybody else. Again, ask the Spirit to guide you to people whom He has already been preparing Pray that the Holy Spirit would lead you to show and tell Jesus to, to those outside and those far off. Uh, now, of course, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that everybody in here needs to become Billy Graham. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that everyone uh, should be out doing street corner evangelism, but that everyone can show and tell Jesus, can speak and serve according to their gifting as they have opportunity. Right? Everyone can show and tell, speak and serve, according to our gifting as we have opportunity, and pray that the Spirit would lead in that. And as you pray for opportunities, God will answer, right? Divine appointments will show up. 
Um, there have been times in my life where this was more prevalent. Uh, I say that really to my shame because it should be prevalent all the time. But there have been times where it was more prevalent and times that it's less prevalent. Times that I've been praying fervently that God would give me opportunities and times where I have been busily doing other things and not praying for that. Uh, there was one point, there was one, one time that really sticks out is when I was living in Baltimore and working in D.C., and I would uh, drive to the train station and take a train to the subway and then take a subway to the stop and then walk a few blocks to uh, my place of work. And uh, I was praying that I would use that time well because it was a lot of time on trains and so on uh, and that God would give me opportunities to witness to Jesus. And one time I was on the train and I was having this discussion, uh, maybe it was even an argument, uh, with someone involved in a cult. I don't even remember what call it was, but uh, the conversation went nowhere. I remember that much. Um, and I got off the train, and a woman followed me off the train. And she said, I heard your conversation with that person. I just want to know, what do I have to do to be saved? You know, that's not just a softball. That's like a t-ball, right? I mean, like, <laughs> like, God couldn't make it any easier than that. And uh, guess what happened? I botched it. I really did. It was horrible. It, I, I, I'm pretty sure I just flubbered for a few minutes trying to get something out. Uh, I don't remember what I said. I'm pretty sure it wasn't good. I didn't quote Acts 16, which is what I should have done, uh, where the Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And uh, uh, Paul answers, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, right? How much easier does it get? Uh, but, um, you know, God has given me lots of opportunities over the years. N none quite as picture perfect as that one, uh, but that's okay, right? Most opportunities won't look like that, uh, but pray that the Holy Spirit would lead you, would lead you, right, to show and tell Jesus, especially, maybe, especially to the most unlikely, the most far off, the most outside, uh, to the Ethiopian eunuchs around you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be preparing them to receive Jesus, giving them a hunger to understand giving them a, a hunger for scripture, a hunger for truth, a hunger for the gospel, a sense of their own sin, right? Pray that the Holy Spirit would be preparing people and then wait and watch for what the Holy Spirit will do. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, we, we recognize that apart from your Spirit at work in us, through us, in our circumstances, we can do nothing. Uh, Jesus said as much, that he was the vine and we are the branches, and apart from you, we can do nothing. Uh, but we, we long to be used by you. We long to see your glory at work in our lives. Uh, we long to see you work. And I pray, Father, that you would lead us and that you would guide us and that you would humble us, and that you would help us to be open, um, help us to have our eyes open looking around. We pray that you would, that you by your spirit would make those providential divine appointments and that our eyes would be open to see them and that we would, we would take advantage of them, whether to speak or to serve, uh, but to show Jesus, to show and tell him to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.